theyeshiva.net. Peri Gimel, page 70, right? Parshas Emmer, Daf Lamed Hey, column 3. Lamed Hey, Amud Gimel, column 3. On the bottom of the of the first column, page 70, Siv Gimel, Peri Gimel. So let's just recall the structure of how the ideas here were being built. The Balatanya started and explained that Svartem doesn't only mean to count, but on a deeper spiritual level, it comes from the word sapphire, sapir, which is a luminescent, a luminescent diamond which shines, which glows. Because Svartem Lechem Machiras means that a person needs to illuminate himself, should illuminate himself, should light himself up with the spheroids. In, in, in Tyrus Hanister, we speak about, as he said, the S spheris, which doesn't only mean ten numbers, it means ten points of light, ten points of radiance, ten points of uh, reflection, because these are the building blocks of the universe through which the divine energy is expressed whether it's Chesed or Gvur or Teferis or Chachma Bin Adas. So Svartem Lachem means that the human faculties should reflect the divine faculties. The ten koiches of the soul, the Chesed in the person, the Gvur in the person, the Teferis, should become mirrors and reflections. Usvartem, they should become light, light, they should light themselves up. They should become reflectors of the divine energy of those ten koiches. That's how he introduced the concept of Svirasayman. In order to understand this, he explained the fact that Pesach and Shavuos work together because Sviris Oimer is the bridge between Pesach and Shavuos. And to explain it, he discussed the fact that everything in life and in all of the worlds operates in a double motion of Ratzoy. You remember Ratzoy and Shuv? Ratzoy is, is, is tension. The fact that yearning and Shuv is returning, right? Embracing what you have. There's Trying to leave what I trying to leave where I am, and then returning to where I am. It's moving away and moving back. Ratzoy and shuv, and we have it in the very biological, in, in the very biological structure of the person, the way we live. Hachayis ratzoy v'shayiv, where the heart contracts and the heart expands. Basically, contraction metaphorically represents the fact that I'm I feel tight, right? I'm contracted, I feel tight, and basically what happens is the, the blood, the, the blood huh? gets, expelled. gets expelled and be able to give vitality of the body. And then there's the opposite tenuah, the tenuah of hisrachvos, the, the tenuah of expansiveness, which doesn't expel anything from me. On the contrary, it retains, it, it maintains. We know that there are lives that are defined by one quality more than the other, by ratzai more than shuv. A quality that's defined by Ratzoy is a, li- a life that's defined by Ratzoy is a life that's filled with never-ending frustration, right? I'm always contracted. I always feel tight. I'm never satisfied. A life that's defined exclusively by Shuv is a life of complacency. You know, it's a life of complacency. You're basically sitting on the hammock and, you know, sipping your pina colada 
and, uh, and all is good. If you could do that your whole life, <laughs> I guess you're a lucky man on some level. Um, uh, I don't know if you're alive, but you're lucky. <laughs> life is hachayis rotsi v'shuv. There's rotsi and shuv. Everything, rotsi and shuv. And it already works in, in all of the worlds this way. All the malo, everything is rotsi and shuv. Running and returning, running and returning. And he says, in the Jewish calendar also operates that le- on that way. Pesach is rotsi. And Shvuas is Shuv. Pesach is Ratzu Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim Bechipozoin. Haste, fast, Kivorach Ha'am, the nation runs away. There was a tremendous revelation and they ran. And Shvuas is where God reveals his will, his blueprint for the world, for the world to, so to speak, not run away from the world, but in embrace it by having the blueprint that Hashem gives for life. That was the introduction. In order to get into this, he starts explaining what is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim in a person's life, which means what is our personal Ratzai. And that exists every single day. And it exists when? During Kriyashma, which Kriyashma is the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim of the Jew. And that's why the Chazal hybrid, uh, hybridized, they, uh, they synthesized the mitzvah of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim with the mitzvah of Kriyashma. From Baruch Sha'amar, from the beginning of Davani till Krishna is the Hachana, to be able to experience Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And here he spoke about the mindfulness or the Hizbainanus, the meditation during davening that helps a person leave the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And he started to discuss the Malchuscha, Malchus Kalaylamim, and the Srofim and the Chayas HaKadosh the realization that the world is really divine energy, and then even a deeper realization that the entire divine energy of the world is essentially like a light wave in the solar core, where the light wave in the solar core really occupies no space. It doesn't have an independent an independent significance. And the essence of Hashem, therefore, is not changed by the creation of the world. And therefore, that is ultimate, the ultimate only, only real reality. And this creates a sensation of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, that everything is seen as Mitzrayim. Even the highest spiritual levels are seen as Gvul, are seen as finite, because they are ultimately based on restriction and based only on a name. We discussed the contrast between name and essence. And that's why the main Nakuda of Golas Mitzrayim is Loyadati as Hashem. Pare has no issue with Elikim. His problem is Loyadati as Hashem, Hoya that the Das is an Abchina of Golas. And davening helps a person to be able to achieve that state of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, to really be able to go out of that emotional, restrictive, and even existential restrictive state. And that's the tefillahs of his tiknum, that the tefillah is made up of the three types of psukim of Avram, Mitzuk, and Yaakov, Chesed, Gvura, Rachamim, Teferis, triggering the emotion of Ava, triggering the emotion of Yira, and finally triggering the emotion of Rachamim, Rabim, Al-Nafshay, which helps even when a person is smug, complacent, and stone-like, as he puts it. His heart is Kalev, Kalev Ha'evan, stone-like, and therefore, as, by the way, the Balatanya has somewhere in a Maimer, in Shabbos Shuvah, that, uh, you know, when you read in Chumash about Skila, it's very difficult uh, the concept of stoning. So he says, really, the concept of stoning is that certain sins turn you into a rock. That's what he says, they turn you into a rock. That's what it means, really, spiritually. He says, the physical is always a manifestation of the spiritual. There's certain things a person does, it just blocks you off. You become like a stone. Nothing will move you. You become like 
you become a rock, you become like completely apathetic. He says, that's really the Nekudah. Liboy kelev ha'evan, like he says here. So Rachamim Rabim is the special power of Yaakov that reaches even into the abyss. As we explained, that there's no situation where a person cannot arouse compassion for himself. Even when I'm in the lowest state, there's room for Rachamim. On the contrary, there's ersh room for Rachamim, Rab Malnafsha. So that's why Rachamim never is detached from anybody. It's never... It's never. It's it's an emotion that's always applicable. It's always available. It's always available. Yeah. Of rachma. Yeah. 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 On the contrary, on the contrary, it's not like I'm so careless. I'm hopeless. Because on the contrary, so there's esh room for rachma and rab malnafsha. I just have to recognize that I have a great soul, because if not, then there's no rachem. The if I think it's my natural state, then uh, so sort of there has to be at least some awareness that it's not, it's not essentially my destiny. Yeah, my soul is a great soul. Right. And that touches it, because there's no situation that I'm beyond that. <coughs> Av, I may not feel love. Yira, I may not feel yira. You have to be in a state to feel real love in yira, especially when it comes to Hashem. But Rachamim, Rab Malnafshay, I don't have to be in a state. Wherever I am, I can have that sensitivity, that empathy, simply for my soul or for somebody else's soul. Understanding, understanding its power, understanding its greatness. That's the midah of Yaakov. Vayisas koiloi, vayisas koiloi vayef. Haksavim hifridah. It comes from das. This is a meditation. It comes from das. It's not from an emotion. Of course. That's blocked. We're dealing with a perception, a das. And that's why in davening there's a big focus on Berachamecha, Harabim, Rachem, Aleinu, Avas, Oilam, Mahaftanu, Chem, Lagdoy, Levi, Seira, right? And he said, what is that a request for? A person could live their whole life and really invest in something that doesn't exist. What do we mean they invest in something that doesn't exist? They invest in an ego, they invest in an inflated sense of self that never really existed. It only exists in their own insecure or uh, smug delusions. The same bina to be able to look at the world and lahavin davim etayich davar, lahavin olahaskil shmoya lilmud lamad lishma velasas, etc. One day I shouldn't have to be able to face myself and face reality and see that everything I thought was real absolutely had no substance. Whatever I didn't even imagine was real, that was actually, that was actually, uh, that was actually reality. Now, after this structure, he now is going to come back to Sefirah Sa'imer. Because he started off that Pesach is Ratzu, and Shavuos is Shuv. And Sefirah Sa'imer is the journey between Pesach and Shavuos. So now he's going to come back. He was just explaining what Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim is in our own Avoidah. In our own Avoidah, it's the process of davening every single day. And every day, this is why we daven every day, because every day I need a new Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. These are not things that once you get there, you get there. It's not like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a funny thing. We left Egypt, so how, how long do we have to talk about it? Uh, we're not going to get bored of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim at some point. Jewish history is so rich with events that happened yesterday. All we can do is talk about what happened three and a half thousand years ago. I mean, come on. Wake up and, you know, follow the news. Felt tzadahs from yesterday, issues of yesterday. It's like we keep on going back to there. How long are you going to regurgitate the same story? So I remember once a Bachin Yeshiva was asking me, he said, I don't get this. Like, uh, how long can you live with old news? Okay, it happens. Next. 
didn't happen in my lifetime, not my father's lifetime, not my Zayda's lifetime. Okay, so of course on a, on a practical level, on a simple level, it was, so to speak, the, the you know, we speak about the founding fathers. These are the, the birth pangs of the Jewish people. This is how we began. This is our mission statement. It's our identity. It's the Atav Echartan So to speak, that's the fundamental element of Judaism, the basics of Judaism. On a deeper level, though, the question is the other way around. Can we live without mentioning Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is really the belief that a human being can be free. Trust me, we have to be reminded every day. <laughs> because naturally, the status quo is you go into your rut. You know, everyone has their rut, their comfort zone, their restrictions. They just go back into it, whatever that may be. It could be on a very brute level, it could be on a very sophisticated level. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is that essential recognition that your destiny is ultimately to go out of all Mitzar Magvulam, to go out of all the restrictions that one may have, whether they are physically or emotional or mental or psychological and even deeply spiritual restrictions. They're, they're spiritual, they may look far broader and expansive and they may be relative to where you were you know, a month ago or a year ago, but they're still Mitzar Magvulam. So now he continues... Back to Sfirasayim. Everything that we spoke about, which is the concept of Ratsu, yearning, aspiring, transcending, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, this Avoida primarily relates to the godly soul in the person. The godly soul in the person which finds itself in Golos and feels itself in Golos within the restrictions that are mechasa, that cover up. Like Pari said, Pari says, I refuse to know Havaya. I don't recognize this. For me, ultimately, matter, the world is completely self-contained. He does not recognize Havaya, Hoya, Hoiva, Veyiya, Belishum, Shinoi, Atu, Achlai, Nivra, Oilam, Atu, Humisha, Nivra, Oilam. That essentially, the real truth, the real truth is the intimacy with the essence of the divine. At every single moment, he cannot recognize that. This is not only a recognition that there's a creator in the world. This is deeper than there's a creator. Creator means God created me and I'm me. This is that the very I is really divine energy. And really the very I is like, I gave the example that he often gives, the light wave in the solar core where basically you cannot even say that the world occupies space in the sense that it constitutes a real partition or a real change. Pare is not capable of recognizing this. So the whole meditation of davening speaks very much to the nefesh alakis. The nefesh alakis is there. It wants to be there. It senses golos. It senses golos mitzrayim. There's a word from the Sfasemis. It says in Parshas Be'erav, Hoitzesi eschem mitachas I will take you out from the civilis of Mitzrayim. So literally, civilis means the burden, the sevel of Mitzrayim. You know, like sevel, a person has a lot of sevel, uh, pain, agony, burdens. The chidush arim taich, civilis, like we say in today's Hebrew, savlanut. I will take you out from being soivel Mitzrayim. I will liberate you from the patience from the fact that you are ready to accept Mitzrayim. Because he says the worst gullus is not being in gullus. The worst gullus is that you accept the gullus. The complacency, you tolerate it. 
as long as you tolerate dysfunction, as long as you tolerate abuse, as long as you tolerate evil, that is what could perpetuate it, because you make peace with it. The moment you make peace with Mitzrayim, you can never liberate yourself from Mitzrayim. It's the Ratsui. It's Kivorech Ha'am. I hate this. I don't like this. I'm going to take you out from civilis. He says, from being civil Mitzrayim. The problem is you make peace with Mitzrayim. You make peace. It becomes already the status quo. So for this, the Nefesh HaLekis is moved because it senses that there's something off. It senses that it's in Golos. So Amela, this entire discussion of Ratzoy affects the Nefesh HaLekis, the godly consciousness in the person which <coughs> sees the world essentially from a divine perspective and therefore doesn't tolerate being confined in a zoo. It cannot, in a cage in a zoo, like we gave the metaphor. The Nefesh HaLekis is really moved. Now a person can operate on a level of consciousness where they never feel their Nefesh HaLekis. The Nefesh HaLekis is not like the Yetzir Toiv. Yetzir Toiv means you have an inclination to do good. Nefesh HaLekis is a much more expansive term, where it means that you have a consciousness that is divine. It sees the world from a divine point of view. It sees the world from a divine paradigm. So the Nefesh HaLekis experiences, if I'm in touch with it, if I detect my own godly soul, there's a frustration with the state of Pari who says, Layadati like it says, Hashem tells Yaakov Avinu, I will come down with you to Egypt and I will bring you back up. In Parshish Vayigash, when Yaakov is afraid to go down to meet Yosef, I will go down, I will come up. Hashem tells this to Yaakov. Metaphorically, what does this mean? He speaks to Yaakov. Every personality in Torah. Alpitoyus Anister is a metaphor for a particular uh, pattern in the human psyche. In other words, when you learn about Kayin or Hevel or Noyach or Lavan or Esav or Yaakov, anybody, Haman Achashverish, Vashti and Basia, whoever you're learning about, on one level, this Pshutishal Mikra, you're talking about historical figures. On another level, you're talking about characteristics within the human psyche. So that's why a major part of Torah Sanistra and of Hasidus will always depict all the characters and explain what they represent. They're not just people, they're also ideas or concepts that are continuously embodied and manifested within the psychological makeup of humanity. So therefore their struggles are our struggles, their debates are our debates, their dilemmas are our dilemmas. Who is Noyach? Noyach represents a certain mindset. Cain represents a certain paradigm. Hevel represents a certain paradigm. Cain's murder of Hevel is something that happens constantly. Maybe not on a physical level, but on a mental level. So he says, Yaakov, when we see the word Yaakov, it's two words. Yud, Ekev. Yud means Yud, the letter Yud, which is always the metaphor for Hashem, whose name begins with the Yud. And that's how you write, you know, Yud, Yud is one of Hashem's names, how we write it out. And then Ekev, which of course means the heel, which is the bottom of the foot. So Yaakov is Yud Ekev. So when Hashem tells this to Yaakov, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the godly soul. Yaakov Chevel Nachalase, Ki Chelek Havaya Amai, Ki Chelek Hashem Amai. His nation, the Pasuk says, Parshas Hazinu, Yaakov Chevel Nachalase, Yaakov is the rope of his inheritance, Chelek Hashem Amai. Kumashe Kosovo, as we say by Kriyas Yamsov, Vayar Yisrael, Esayad Agdoyla, Asher Asa Hashem. So he teaches Vayar Yisrael, Esayad Agdoyla. The Yisrael perceives it. 
The Medrash says, the Medrash Rab in the beginning, Yisrael ascended in thought. Yisrael is the two letters, two words, Li Rosh, Lamed Yud Rosh, my head. For Yisrael, Bilvad Ro Asasher Asa Havaya. In the state of Yisrael, they could appreciate Asher Asa Havaya. Where Pare says, Lo Yadati Yes Hashem. Only Alekimyan is Shlain Pare. So Yaakov and Yisrael basically are two states of the Nefesh Alekis. One is Li Rosh, the head, and one is Yud Akiv, the way the Yud travels down and ultimately infuses even the Akiv with its vitality. So one is the soul at its core, that's Yisrael, and Yaakov is the way the soul comes into this world, comes into the body with all of the journeys that it has through the body. So the two names of Yaakov and Yisrael, really it's the same person, but it represents two states of consciousness. There's Yodoy Echezes Ba'kev Esav, there's the way I'm entangled with my brother Esav and we're busy battling. He hates me, I, I steal from him, he, steal, he wants to kill me, etc. That's one level of Yaakov. And then there's the Yisrael, which is Lirosh. For Yaakov to make peace with Esau, he has to go through a name change. If he doesn't go through a name change, he can never make peace with Esau. Because when we see in the story of Ayishlach, in the story, I mean, he says it very briefly here, but in other places he elaborates more. In the story of Ayishlach, Yaakov is expecting full-fledged war. He prepares for war, and he sends a very lavish bribe to appease his brother. And he davens to Hashem. He may strike me and kill everybody, mother and children. So he's preparing for war. And we're all expecting confrontation. And then when Esau actually meets Yaakov, something astounding happens. There's not even a trace of conflict. Actually what we see is emotional, vulnerable, sibling, affection and love. And Esav is very powerful. He embraces him and he kisses him and they, you know, there's, 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 there's genuine emotion. And Esav says, let's even live together. Let's go together. I'll be with you. And one wonders, what happened? You just said he's coming with 400 troops. And the only story that explains the transformation of Esav is, Yaakov is stuck in the middle of the night alone and a man wrestles with him till dawn break. And when that man wrestles with him, Yaakov ends up limping in the morning. He's, he's maimed, he's wounded from this confrontation, from this entanglement with this strange, uh, with this strange uh, opponent that he meets in the middle of the night. And finally the man says, leave me alone. It's time for me to leave because it's dawn break. You know, skeletons come out only in the middle of the night. I, I, it's, it's now daytime, you know, when the people start coming for Vesikin, it's time for me to go into my hiding. So he says, I need a bracha from you, right? Which usually when you're with a gangster a whole night in an alleyway fighting, in the morning you don't really ask for a blessing. You call 911, you try to punch him out, you run away. And instead of giving him a blessing, he changes his name from Yaakov to Yisrael. So this story is, of course, one of the great mysteries of Chumash and the Mepharshim all, you know, deal with it, each one in his own way. But from the, from the perspective of Teres Nister, who was Yaakov really battling? It says, Vayivaser Yaakov levadai, Vayavik ishi mayadalaisa So what they used to call in Yiddish a klotzkasha. You know, the klotzkashas are the questions that no, no, everybody's afraid to ask because they're too good, and no teacher ever has an answer for them. You know, it's like the basic, basic question that everybody's supposed to know, but nobody knows. It's called klotzkashas. So uh, klotzkashas are always the best questions. And they always say that when you get older, you'll understand. And you get older, and you still don't understand. Levada in Chumash means alone. Alone means alone. 
like in Bereshia, it says, Loi tov Adam, Levadai, Adam was the only human being. So Vayivasa Yaakov Levadai means he's alone. Vayavik Ishimai means there's a man wrestling with him. So he wasn't alone. So why do you tell me he was alone? He thought he was alone. He wasn't alone. He was without his wife and kids, but there was somebody there hiding in the closet. Which is, of course, why this Ish has to be understood as somebody who is really himself. He was alone. And the man wrestling with him was Yaakov himself. It wasn't somebody else. So who is this Yaakov himself who's wrestling with him? Because, as we discover here, there's really two states of Yaakov. There's Yaakov the way he's Eichezes Ba'kev Esav, and there's Yaakov the way he is not Eichez Ba'kev Esav. That's what Yisrael is going to be. Now, if I could just use this as a paradigm for a much lower discussion, I'm, I'm saying clearly a lower discussion, because when you're dealing with Yaakov Avinu, we're dealing with somebody who is uh, Yaakov Avinu, you know, Ha'avis Hayden Amerkava. So it's important always to make that qualification that we're dealing with the others. But let's talk, apply this to our own life. And then we'll go back to a more spiritual, abstract level, the way it's actually in Yaakov. Then the contrast he's making here is between Lirosh versus Yud Ekev. It's a soul, but there's the way the soul is infusing the heel and the way the soul is a head. Now the head and the heel are the two diametrically opposed extremes of the body. This is the top, the Rosh, and this is the Ekev. In Avizdir Abnasan, the Ekev is called Malach HaMavis Shaba'adam. Because the circulation in the foot is, of course, weaker than any other limb and body. And that's why people who uh, suffer from diabetes, Rahman al the first, the first part that's affected in the body is, of course, the foot. Because the circulation is, in a good day, the circulation could be challenging over there. So it's called in Avizdir Abnasan, Malach HaMavis Shaba'adam, the angel of death in a person, because there's less sensation of life or vitality in the akiv of the person, in the sole of the foot of the person, literally the bottom of the person. That's Yud Akiv. In our own journeys, we have really two states, and those two states are very profound, and we really have to evolve from one to the other. When we're born, we're holding on to the heel of somebody else. A cave Esav. And we're named Yaakov. Now who names their son a heel? Imagine you go to a therapist and he asks you, tell me about your parents. He says, well the first thing is they named me Yaakov. What does Yaakov mean? A heel. Wow, that's great for self-confidence. So that's how they looked at you. They looked at you and you said, oh, he reminds me of an Akev. Wow, that's so interesting. And why did they name you Yaakov? Because I was holding on to my brother's heel. Wow, they didn't even name me because I came out from my mother's womb holding on to my own. At least that would have been cute and charming. I was holding on to my brother's ache. In other words, your name is basically your brother's name. You're named because of your brother. Now what does that mean? That's quite heavy. As the story continues, Yaakov buys the birthright from his brother. He takes the blessings from his brother. In other words, he's trying to take something from his brother. That's what he's, busy. That's what he's doing. He's taking something from his brother. His brother, in turn, hates his guts, despises him, wants to kill him. Twenty years later, he already built his own family. The night before he's going to meet his brother, who's finally trying to defeat his brother, he has a revelation. He wrestles with himself in the middle of the night when nobody's there. And what's the nature of the wrestle? The nature of the wrestle, the way to apply it in, in, in simple terms, at least in our lives, although as I said with Yaakov, it's a completely on a different madrega, is one simple question. 
And that is, how much longer will I be holding on to my brother's heel? How much longer will I actually be holding on to my brother and telling myself that if only I could be my brother, and if only I could be you, and if only I could have had this state, this position in the family, and if only I could have had this type of brother or sister or mother or father or school or home or money or wealth or opportunity or this, my life would have been a different life. How long will I be saying that? And what I discover in this frightening and revealing night is that I have been limping, I have been maimed. A limp is you're alive, you're functioning, but your stature is caved in. The reason I could never be me is because I was always busy being you or being jealous of you and ultimately blaming you for my problems. If I, if only I could have been ahead of him, if only I could have been this, then I would succeed. And what happens here is I am ultimately the one who's maimed. I am the one who's wounded. So my inner shadow or my inner child, let's put it that way, turns to me and says, you really have to have a name change. We have to change your name from Yaakov to Yisrael. You're not anymore holding on to your brother's heel. You have fought with men and with God and you have prevailed. You're not a heel, you're a head. Rashi says he stole from the word Sar. You can't be holding on to somebody else's Akiv when you are a Rosh, you're ahead. Yisrael, Li Rosh. You know what happens in the next scene? Esav makes peace with Yaakov. You know why Esav makes peace with Yaakov? Because Yaakov made peace with Yaakov. Esav will never make peace with Yaakov if Yaakov never made peace with Yaakov. As long as Yaakov didn't make peace with Yaakov, he's busy being Esav or trying to be Esav. Esav feels usurped by Yaakov, threatened by Yaakov, overwhelmed by Yaakov, suspicious of Yaakov. The moment Yaakov embraces Yaakov by changing his name to Yisrael, he's not anymore holding on to Esav's heel. So what happens now? Esav accepts Yaakov. Why does Esav accept Yaakov? Because Yaakov finally became Yaakov. Yaakov became Yaakov. So now Esav can say, okay, this is you and this is me. Before that, there's a tremendous, tremendous confusion. Yaakov is battling. Who am I? Who am I? And the ramifications for Jewish history here are very, very powerful. Because probably one of the greatest trends among the Jewish people from then till today is You know, we feel if we can only be a little more like Esau, we'll finally be accepted. Look like Esau, uh, behave like Esau, dress like Esau, be integrated like Esau, accepted by Esau, and then we'll make it. It's one of the greatest forces in Jewish history. The problem is, the more Jews looked like Esau, the more Esau hated them and never helped. What did Chaim Velazhinus say? If we don't make Kiddush, they're going to make Havdalah. That's what he said. If Jews don't make Kiddush, they're going to make Havdalah. And what happens? You end up limping. You end up limping because if you're not you, right? So then you actually, you, you become less. You don't become more. What do they say? Everybody is born original, but most of people die as copies. Right? Everybody's born original. But it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't continue too long. Because at some point they say, eh, stop it. Just hold on to my heel and you'll be safe. You know how old you are when you get that message? You just hold on to my heel and you'll be good. And for the rest of your life, you'll be an akif. You will be a heel. So that's the state of entanglement. Very deep entanglement. And it's very emotional. Sometimes it's completely subconscious. 
but it's basically I never really accepted my own self. One of the hardest things in life, to really accept yourself, not in an arrogant way, in an authentic way. And because I never really accepted myself, ultimately nobody else could really accept me. Because they're confused by me. Because they feel different energies from me. Because I don't, I, I'm not me. So how can they, they don't even know who I am. They, they don't have who to accept. They hold on to one thing, but it's like an elusive, you're an elusive character. Because you don't even know who you are. I can't even hold on to you. You guys get what I'm talking about? Huh? You understand it, Marsha? Okay, because I don't know exactly what I'm talking about. I just know a little bit. Okay. So, so peace comes when Yaakov ultimately becomes Yisrael. Right? That's why we're called Bnei Yisrael. That moment gives us our name. In a funny way, when the Jew accepts the Jew, the non-Jew can accept the Jew. And this is a very profound truth. Because it doesn't look that way always. People think it's the other way around. We know it in life. When you are you, then I can accept you much better than when you're busy being me. Because when, when Jews are not being Jews, they're like, they create a queasy feeling. It's like, I don't know who you are. You know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's like almost you're coming, you're undermining me from a very deep place. Now, of course, real anti-Semites don't care. They hate us, they hate us, they don't care this way or that way. But we saw throughout Jewish history that Jews saying we're not Jews and shedding their layers never assuaged the pain of anti-Semitism. If anything, the worst anti-Semitism came from countries where Jews assimilated most successfully, which is a very tragic phenomenon of Jewish history. So this is really expressed collectively in our story. It happened in Spain, it happened in Germany. In Germany, Jews were more German than Germans. They were so integrated and so successful in the art, especially, the music and in science, the, 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 the amounts of professors and teachers and, and, and Jews of high culture in Germany was, was stupendous. It was extraordinary. Nobody understood. The German Jews couldn't believe that there was such a, a, a shift in the tide to be so transformational from one extreme to the other extreme. The intermarriage that was there in the mid-1800s, 40% of Berlin Jewry converted to Christianity volitionally. This wasn't the Inquisition, no Inquisition, it was volitionally. It shows the level of integration. And nonetheless, within a century, the worst venom in the history of civilization came from that place. Now, I'm not explaining from their perspective. I'm just showing how that level of Yaakov becoming Esau is absolutely futile. It was always futile. Just like it's futile today when Israel screams that we're like everybody else. The only ones who believe that Israel is a regular country is Israel. <laughs> and the only ones who believe that Israel is not different than any other country are the Jews. Nobody else believes it. Everyone screams, you're different, you're different, you're different. In Syria, 400,000 people are dead in a few years. Nobody utters a sound. And in Israel, a rocket by mistake makes a mistake and kills people innocently. Two people because of the thousand rockets they were throwing and suddenly there's a UN, uh, a UN emergency meeting, right? Last year, it's interesting to note, last year there were, U, there were 20 resolutions of the UN against Israel. One resolution against Syria. Here 400,000 dead and here within 70 years, yeah, you probably don't have more than 10,000 uh, um, uh, uh, Arabs who died in the conflict within 70 years. It's a fascinating thing. 
Okay, so without getting, so let's now get to the Herdin Akuda. So Bemela, when Yaakov embraces Yisrael, Esav embraces Yaakov. Now this is on one level. If we take it now to a more spiritual and abstract level, which is what we're getting here at, every Jew operates on these two levels. The Neshama itself, there's Yud Akiv and there's Yisrael. Yud Akiv is the way the Neshama comes into Akiv, comes into the heel, and has to deal with that. Yisrael is the way the Neshama is Lirosh. On both levels, you're dealing with a soul, you're dealing with Yaakov. So Hashem tells Yaakov, I'm going to go down with you, but I'm going to come up with you. This is the dimension of the soul of the Nefesh Alekis detects a certain reality and is sensitive to it. But then, as we're going to see, there's another dimension of a person that doesn't even know what we're talking about. Listens to this and says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any issues. All these issues that are bothering you don't talk to me. That's a second part of a person. And as we're going to see, this is where Sphere Sa'imer comes in because the Aimer is Michael Behema. Continue, Mr. Shem, tomorrow. Right, yes. Right. Even Yud Akiv is the way the Yud becomes entangled with the heel of Asaph. What was the name of the German chemist that you mentioned? Fritz Haber. Fritz Haber. Do you know that half the world is alive because of him? He created artificial, they called, he, they used to say he made bread from heaven. He created artificial fertilizer. Probably a third, if not half of the world, I would say a third or half of population is alive because of him. He won the Nobel Prize, I think, in 1919. Fritz Haber, is a Jewish guy. It's a tragic story, yeah? The gas, the gas, cyclone. It's a tragic story. This what well, his wife killed himself. Killed his son also killed himself. They say it's from Reb Chaim very powerful vart. If the Jews are not going to make kiddush, the Gentiles will make havdalah. Very powerful. Either the Jews will make kiddush, they'll realize their role in the world. As, as the teachers and if not they'll make Havdallah that's what they say so Yaakov and Yisrael the Nakuda, after the whole beer the whole Hasbro we discussed Yaakov and Yisrael represent two states of the soul Yaakov is Yud Ekev right and Yisrael is a combination of two words which is Li Rosh Yisrael has within it the letters Li and Rosh Lamed Yud Yisrael has Lamed Yud, and it has also the words Resh, Aleph, and Shin. That makes up Yisrael. Yud Ekev is the way the Yud enters into the body and ultimately even infuses the heel with Yud, which is the descent of the Neshama into the world. V'yodoy oichezes ba'akev Esav. So the Balatanya teaches, V'yodoy, the Yud, the Yud, Yud as in the Yid, the Jew, the Yud, the Yid, holds on and tries to impact and deal with the heel of Esau. That's Yaakov, even Alpipshat. He's holding on to the heel of Esau. And then there's Yisrael, there is Lirosh. And this represents what we call Nefesh Elikis, the godly consciousness of the human being. And the godly consciousness sees the world the way God sees it. It senses, it detects, the, uh, it, 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 it 
it perceives reality from a divine perspective. It relates to the world, to humanity, to itself, and to everything around it, around it from a godly point of view, from a godly vantage point. That's how it sees. It sees the universe. It has glasses that really sees the universe from a different perception, from a different perspective, and therefore it sees itself from a different perspective. And that's called Yaakov Yisrael. Yaakov and Yisrael are two states. There's the way the Neshama is within its own orbit, so to speak, and the way there is the Neshama struggling and dealing with conflicts a whole day. And the greatest conflict is that it doesn't get to know who it is. The greatest conflict is that it's eclipsed. It doesn't have its own voice. It doesn't know who it is. Now, so the Balatanya now continues and says, Kamoikein, we're 70, the column 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 4 lines from the top. Kamoikein bekrishma. Sometimes there's like a lot of code language. The same as, this is how he summarizes, the same as Krishna, which is Ratsui, which is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, which is Vahafta, which is basically the summation of everything he discussed. That experience is exclusively for the godly soul. Like we said before, the Pasuk says, Vayar Yisrael Esayad Agdoy Hashem. The impact of Hashem Shem Havaya, Kichelek Havaya, Mayutke Vovke versus Alekim, this Yisrael perceives. The Nefesh Alekis perceives it. Yisrael Alaba Machshava. Yisrael is Lirosh. So therefore, Yisrael is, percept- is perceptive to this. It's sensitive to this. Avol Nefesh Abahamis, when it comes to the Nefesh Abahamis, which is the beastly consciousness of a human being, Mikal Makaim, who writes Alechel Kamaisa Behema. That's how he sums up the Nefesh Abahamas. That's his basically summation. Sof kol sof, after everything, all he wants is he wants to eat. So he could learn and think and meditate and everything. He sees that cookie or sees that piece of cheesecake. Or sees, everything is lost. What? Huh? I think the chulu is that this is a more edel behema, and then the behema expands to many different uh, expressions. This is the basics. It wants to eat like a behema. What's a behema? A behema searches all day for food. You watch here the ducks going around, the deer going around. Yeah? They're very charming animals. They're very interesting. You learn God's wisdom from them, the innocence, the purity. But what they're concerned with is food. Self-preservation, self-survival, self-gratification. So every single person operates also on that level of consciousness. And in this sense, we are part of the zoological species of, of existence. Our zoos are more sophisticated. Our cages are more developed. We build gymnasiums, circuses, stadiums theaters, beautiful homes, mansions, temples, and so forth. But that is just the expansiveness of the same essential drive and aspiration of the animal. So the animal is not evil. The animal is just simply focused on The Nefesh Bahamas means that we operate on that level of consciousness. That's the consciousness of the dimension of a behemoth, a person can operate on that level. 
And on that level, they're not evil. They just have to be able to identify the passions and the aspirations. If that is all what a person would have, life probably would have been simpler and calmer. The challenge is that the Jew also has a nefesh alikis, which operates on a different level of consciousness, on a divine level of consciousness. And the two souls <coughs> get married to each other when we're born, and they have to have shalom bayis for the rest of their life. And it's not like in regular marriage, where if you really get sick of your husband, or conversely, you know, you could go away for a few hours. You go to shul, that's why there's mincha, ma'ir of shachris, and so on and so forth, for shalom bayis purposes. And then we have the invention of the Catskill Mountains, where in ultra-Orthodox circles there's legal separation for three months. Somebody asked me why by the Orthodox there's less divorce. I say because they separate for three months. So it takes away the tension. The seculars don't have that. They have to be together a whole year. That's just a joke, a cynical joke. Maybe not, I don't know. So the Nefesh of the Kiss and the Nefesh of Bahamas, they're tucked into each other. They're always working together. They're talking to each other. They're communicating to each other. And one of the greatest challenges is to be able to even to be able to identify that you have these two souls, that we operate on two levels of consciousness. To be able even to identify that distinction is very profound because it's not simple. Because the Nefesh HaBahamas can often eclipse completely the voice of the Nefesh HaLakis to the point that I'm not even aware of it. I don't even sense it. I don't even know that it exists. So Bamela, the first step is to simply identify that there is a duality. There is an inherent and intrinsic um, uh, duality or dichotomy in the human psyche between these two souls. And the purpose was to create some type of harmony, to create some type of language that connects. So the Balatanya says when it comes to Ratzi, when it comes to Vahafta, when it comes to Kriyash, when it comes to Yitzhiyash Mitzrayim, the Nefesh Shalikis gets it. It's just there. It understands it immediately. But the Nefesh Bahamas doesn't understand the language. It doesn't even know what you're talking about. So he says, In order to go to Kabbalah Satayra, which is the revelation of God's Ratzin here, down here, below, what needs to be accomplished is that the Nefesh Bahamas should also become aligned with its source. So Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Pesach, is the Ratzu. In every day, it represents the Psukkah, the Zimra, the Davening, the Kriyashma, the Vahafta. But on many ways, that's an experience that the divine soul takes to. The animal soul may not take to it, may not comprehend it, may not be sensitive to it. So here we have a concept called Here you have what's called Lifting up the Oymer and counting the Oymer. The Pasuk tells us that on the second day of Pesach, the Zayin Nisan, they brought an Oymer to the Beis HaMikdash, or to the Mishkan. What was the nature of this Oymer? So basically, Oymer we know is a measurement, right? It's the tenth of an Eifa. It's basically the measurement, the volume of 43.2 eggs. They used to take barley. They would harvest the barley the night before. Mitzoy, the first day of Pesach, when we have our second Seder. That night, they used to harvest the barley in the fields. They would bring that barley to the Beis HaMikdash. They would grind it up 
and turn it into flour. They would refine the flour many, many times, I think 13 times. And then from that flour, they would take the measurement of Asiris Haifa, and then the Kayan would do Kmitsa. Kmitsa is, of course, I don't know how you even translate Kmitsa. Uh, he would take a fistful, a fistful. He would take not a mamash, a handful, but he would fill up part of his hand, right, under the three fingers with flour of the barley. He would burn it on the Mizbeach. That was called carbon oimer. That's what it is. That's all that happened. The flour was burnt. It was salted like all carbonus. And it was thrown onto the altar. And it was burnt in the flames. A little amount of barley flour that the Kayan placed under his three middle fingers. Number two, number three, number four. Not the thumb and the pinky. That's called kmitza. And that was put on the Mizbeach. You still had a lot of flour left. So the Kayanim would bake it, and they would eat it. Of course, it was baked as matzah. All the menachas were baked as matzah, but this was also Pesach. It was the second day of Pesach, so certainly it was baked as matzah for other reasons as well. And then they would eat it. This is called carbon oimer. Why is it called carbon oimer? Oimer is a volume. Oimer is a measurement of flour, Asiris Saifa. The mon was the same measurement. Basically, it's the size of the dough which, which we chayev challah today on. That's also the same size. 43, the volume of 43.2x. So the Torah says, when this Oymer was brought, first there had to be Hanafas Oymer. The Heinef HaKoyen, the Koyen had to lift up the Oymer. And the Lashon HaPasuk is, and that's what he's medayik here, that basically the Pasuk says, that the, in Parshish Emmer, that the Koyen had to lift up the Oymer Lifnei Hashem, when that day, the day after Pesach, the second day of Pesach, then came a second state. After Hanafas Oymer, you burnt the Oymer. And then started Sfiras Oimer. Usfartum Lachem in Mocheras Hashabas. Miyoyma Viachem as Oimer Hatnufa. What does Tnufa mean? The Oimer that was waved. The Gemara says it was Moilich Omevi, Milo Omeirid. The Kayan would take the Oimer. He was Moilich Omevi, would bring it back and forth. And then Milo Omeirid, like we do with the Lulav. Milo Omeirid lift it up and bring it down. So he would wave it in both directions, both vertically and horizontally and vertically. And that's when we start counting Sheva Shabbos So the Balatanya is going to explain after Pesach, after you leave Mitzrayim Ratzui, you can't ignore your animal soul. Now you have to start a process with your animal soul. That's Hanafa Sa'imer and Svira Sa'imer. Before you count the Oimer, you first have to lift up the Oimer. If you don't lift up the Oimer, you can't do Svira Sa'imer. In fact, as we know, there's a big Machlaikas HaPoskim. If Svira Sa'imer today is been a Torah the Rambam holds, the Sefer HaChinuch holds, the Rav Yoh holds, that Sefer HaSayim is even though there's no carbon like we learned in Shulchan Aruch. Why? Because they say there's two separate mitzvahs. There's the mitzvah of Akrav HaSayimer, there's the mitzvah of Sefer HaSayimer, they're not dependent on each other. Most Poiskim, the shit of Toisvis, and the shit that's brought in Shulchan most Poiskim embrace the second view, that Sefer HaSayimer is only rabbinic. Why? Because it does depend on, on Hanafas, on carbon oimer. The mitzvah in Atayr is only when you bring the oimer, then you start counting from the carbon oimer. The rabbis instituted that we should count Zeichel Mikdash, But the mitzvah biblically doesn't exist today. Then there's a third shit, Rabbeinu Yeruchim. Rabbeinu Yeruchim holds that uh, very interesting shit, that Bizman Hazed, the mitzvah in Atayr is to count days, but not to count weeks. Why? Because there's two psukim. Tisperu chamishim yoyim. And Shiva Shavu is Tisperlach Mehachel Chermes Bakama. So he says, when the Torah says to count weeks, it says when you put the sickle to the, to the grain. And the sickle to the grain, we don't do now. So there's no mitzvah of weeks. But Tisperu Chamishim Yoim says independently, autonomously. 
So the mitzvah to count days is independent. So this is a chiddush of Rabbeinu Yeruchim. There's no other poskim that hold this. That bezman hazeh, the mitzvah when you say hayoyim shmoyna yamim loim, you did a mitzvah sasim in atayra. When you say hayoyim shiva yamim, it's a mitzvah sasim atayra. When you say shehem shavua echad, that's a mitzvah derabana. Most don't hold that. The rabbanim holds everything is minatayra. And most poskim, including in Shulchan Aruch, hold that everything is midrabana. Rabbeinu Yeruchim makes a distinction. Now, Ashkafer is showing it's strange. I'm not saying this, Tom, uh, you'll soon see this as Negeya. It's strange. First of all, why does the Torah want you to count days and weeks? <laughs> you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that seven days is a week. And how hard is it? No, you have to count weeks. And Rabbeinu Yeruchim is nachmechadish that what? That days is midrabana and weeks is midrabana. What's, what's the cheshben in that? We're going to see, the whole Nikud of Svira Sayyimit and Nafa Sayyimit has to do with a process of the Nefesh of Bahamas. Because one cannot only speak the language of the Nefesh Alakis, they must speak the language of the Nefesh of Bahamas, the animal soul. And this is, Derech Hagaf, one of the Yisaitis here, generally in the Terrace of Al Shemtev, that generally the approach to the Yitzhahara was seeing that every person has evil, like the Pasuk says, Yitzhileva Adam Ramin Urov, and the way to deal with evil is obliteration. If you can't obliterate it, at least fight it. When we speak about Nefesh Bahamas, we particularly don't use the word Yetzirah. Not that the Nefesh Bahamas can't turn into a Yetzirah. Like every animal, it could become undomesticated, wild, aggressive, and it could kill. It could become monstrous. Because an animal needs to be trained, an animal needs to be educated, an animal needs to be disciplined. It could become very, very disastrous. But at its core, it's not evil. You buy a little puppy, or you buy another animal, at its core, we're not dealing with a necessarily destructive force. You're dealing with a force that could become destructive, but it's also capable of education, of refinement. So the process with the Nefesh Bahamas essentially is not a war of extermination. You're looking at a process of enlightenment, <coughs> of education. So that Put, creating the tension in life and putting it in the context of Nefesh Alakis and Nefesh Bahamas changes somewhat the language of a conflict that is essential between two inclinations. One is light and one is dark. One is good and one is evil. One is bad, one is negative, and one is positive. And gives it a more subtle sensitivity and understanding that you're dealing here with two souls. One is godly and one is very, very different. One is animalistic. But essentially it's capable of awareness. It's capable of elevation. It's capable of sublimation. And in some cases, it's capable of transformation. So now we learn that it's important to engage the Nefesh Bahamas and speak its language. The first thing you have to do is you have to take barley. Every mincha, every grain offering in the Beis HaMikdash was brought from wheat. There were two exceptions. Mincha soita, which is a unique situation. And the second one is the only one that was a carbon sibor. It was brought from barley is the carbon oymah, which is very strange. And then you have to bring it, you have to grind it, you have to take the flour, you have to wave it, and then you offer it, and then you start counting the oymah. That process is going to begin to explain. Barley, the oymah comes from the barley, that's the halacha. That's what the Mishnah tells us in Saita and Menachas, and Chazal tell us, Shehu Michael Behemah. Generally speaking, the Gemara says this in different places, Chitim was Michael Adam and Sa'irim was Michael Behem. Wheat was always seen as human food and barley as animal fodder. I know today all self-respected people don't eat wheat. 
If you're a person, you don't eat wheat because wheat is... I'm not even going to start talking about wheat. Barley is far more... Uh, <laughs> barley is considered far more acceptable. What's the reason for this? Is it because we became behemoths? Or it's maybe because the behemoths already became people? Whatever the conclusion is, but the bottom line is, at least traditionally, Chitim was seen as Michael Adam, and Sa'irim was seen as Michael Behemoth. So when we say take the Oimer, we're immediately referring to animal fodder. We're looking for food for the animal, not food for the human. We want to inspire the animal. Once we want to inspire the animal, we have to give the animal its food. We can't give the animal other food. I can't give an animal food that I like. I have to give it its food, spiritually speaking. Now, what is this Michael Behemoth? So he starts, Don't think the Behemoth starts down here. Lamaila by Hashem, spiritually speaking. Lamaila always means spiritually speaking. When you look at the world, up. Everything down here evolves from up there. Up there there's also a Behemoth. This is what's known as the higher chariot, which is known as Maisim Merkava, Yecheskel Hanavi's vision. In the beginning of the book of Ezekiel, Yecheskel, he has a whole vision. And the vision includes many animals. He sees a throne. And the throne is being carried by what we call a chariot. A Merkava, like, you know, a wagon, a coach. And the wheels of that Merkava are essentially different beasts. HaMerkava HaLyoyna, the higher chariot, the upper chariot. He says, Pnei Ariel Hayamin. Yecheskel Anavi says, on the right I saw the face of the lion. Pnei Shermeh Hasmar. On the left I saw the face of the bull, of the ox. And then he says he saw the face of the eagle. And then he saw the face of the Adam. And these are the four beings that, so to speak, carry the kise. So he says, that's also, that's behemah. The kichaya bechlal behemah. The Gemara tells us that chaya is included in the generic word behemah. So therefore, even the malachim that are called chayas, like the lion is a chaya, not a behemah, it's also bechlal behemah. So when we say Michael behemah, we also mean Michael chad. This is connected to the yam, the sea, that Shloim HaMelech built. Oymid al shneim asar bakar. Shloim shapon poinim tzafoyna chuli. Shehi amir kaveh el yoyna. Vayom aleyem el mayla shu pchines. Yam ha'elyen. Pchines behema rabba. Shem ban. Gematria behema shu shoyrish amir kaveh de pneyari. Little complicated here. It's Kabbalistic code language. In the book of Malachim, the book of Kings, Kings 1, Malachim Aleph, Perik Zion, we have the story of Shleim HaMelech constructing the first base HaMikdash. The architecture there was dazzling, and what Shleim HaMelech did was quite fascinating, and every detail had a kavona. One of the things that Shleim HaMelech did was, he built what the Pasuk says is a yam. Literally, a yam means a sea. It doesn't mean Shleim HaMelech built a sea. It means he built a huge, uh, a huge um, uh, pool a huge reservoir, a huge pool, that looked like it was as impressive, it looked like a yam. But this yam was standing al shneim asabakar. He also sculptured 12 bulls, 12 bulls, so to speak, as pillars, on pillars, and his pool was founded, was sitting on these 12, 12 beasts, 12 bakar, 12 oxen. And the yam was on top of the milmailah. So on one level, it looks like, okay, this was Shlema HaMelech's taste. You know, we're not going to argue with, uh, with the king's taste. If this is what you want, this is what you want. But there's really a very profound idea here. 
This represents the hierarchy, the, the system of creation. The Shnei Masar Bakar represents the spiritual behemoths, the Malachim in the Merkava, the Malachim in the chariot, the face of the lion, the face of the bull. So one of them is the face of the bull. He had 12 bulls. That's the behemoth, that's the Bakar. The Yom Aleim Ilmaila, the sea above them, represents the Shoirish of the Malachim, the source, the roof, where they come from. The source of the Malachim, which is called Yam HaElyon, as he puts it here, the higher sea, which is higher than the Malachim, and he says this is called Behema Rabba, the great Behema, the source of all the Behemas, the source of the Rice And he associates it with Shem Ban, the name of 52, which is Begematria Behema, and that's the Shoirish of the Merkava, which are the Malachim, and this is the Yam Shal Shloima. There's a famous sefer, Yam Shal Shloima, by the Maharshal, right? His name was Shloima, he called it Yam Shal Shloima, Yashash, based on this Yam that Shloima Melech built. In Lomdus, in Yeshiva, it's a famous saver. They may not know Malachim, uh, but Yam Shal Shlema, you have to know if you're a Choshev Ben Torah. So, uh, so, so Yam Shal Shlema is the Yam on top of the same Eser Now, this level we call Yam Elyon is also called Behema Rabba. Rabba here doesn't mean Rabba as a lot. Rabba here means great, powerful. It's the Behema that encompasses within it all of the twelve, all the twelve Behemas. Here we introduce the concept of shame, shame ban. In Kabbalah it says, in Zayur it says, Yudke Vavke, Yud and He and Vav and He is 26. But what if you write it out fully? If you write out Hashem's name fully, okay, so you'll do like this, you'll do Yud, 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 this Yud Vav Dalet, and then how do you write out the other letters? So there's different ways of writing out the other letters. For example, He, you could spell out He Aleph, He He, Hey Yud, they're all legitimate. Hey, hey, hey Yud. Vav also, Vav, 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 Aleph, Vav, Vav, Yud, Vav. There are different ways of writing out the Shema Vaya, and they produce different results, different numbers. So Kabbalah talks about four names of God. Shema, Shem Ban, Shem Sag, Shem Av. 45, 52, 63, 72. What is it? Four ways how you write out Yud Kevavke. Here he's addressing Shem Ban. What is Shem Ban? If you spell it as follows. Yud, Vav, Dalit. How much do you have? Yud is 10. Vav is 6. Dalit is 4. So you have 20. Now spell the He with a double He. He is He, He. So you have 10. So you have 20 and 10. So you have 30. Now spell Vav, Vav, Vav. So you have 30 plus 12, 6 and 6. So it's 42. Now you have another hey, hey, the last hey, hey. So it's another 10. So from 42 you have 52. So the gematria, the numerical value of the oisius of yud and hey and vav and hey, when you spell the hey's with an aleph and the vav with a double vav, ends up to be ban, which is 52. 52 is the gematria of behema. Behema, beis, hey, mem, hey is ban. Shema, 45, is spelled yud, hey, vav, hey, and the hey's with an aleph. If you have Yud, Vav Dalit is 20. Hey Aleph is 6, so it's 26. Yeah. Vav Aleph, Vav is 13. So it's 36 plus 3 is 39. And then you have the last Hey is another 6, so it's 45. Mem Hey. Mem Hey is the Gematria of Adam. Aleph, Dalit, Mem. Aleph is 1. Dalit, Mem is 44. It's 45. And then you have Sag and you have Av, but that's not for now. So Ma is Adam. Ban is Behem. Why does the Shem Havaya, the Shem Havadam, have all these uh, formulations? The answer is because everything is divine energy. The question is only the formula. 
Every, everything is made up of atoms. The question is only the formula. Everything is made up of divine energy. The question is the formula. The relationship of the mole- molecules to each other and of the atoms to each other. Physically, the same is true spiritually. So the different way you spell out Shem Havai creates a different, somewhat of a different energy. This is Shem Ban, would represent God as the source of the reality of the animal reality. Shema would be the source of the human reality. And the human reality and the animal reality are two different realities. In every human being, you have both. You have the Shema and you have the Shemban. That's what he says. Shemban, that's the Yam Shal Shloima. That's the source of the animals. The Shneim Esrei Baka represent the animals, the way they are in their spiritual form, which ultimately evolve in animals down here, we'll soon see. Here we're talking about the animals in the Merkava, the face of the lion, the face of the eagle, the face of the ox, the face of the bull. And Chaya, Bechal, Behemoth, they're all included in the generic name Behemoth. So Shlom has 12 Bokar. On top of, the, we have to understand also why 12, we'll see. On top of the 12 Bokar, he has Ayam, which is basically the sea that is the source, it's the spiritual Shairish, it's called Behemoth Rabbah, it's called, it's called Ban, it's called Gematria Behemoth. And he says, This Merkava, don't take it lightly. It's the spiritual origin for all animals in our world. And if you want to understand your own Nefesh Bahamas, you have to understand the Merkava, because the Merkava is the spiritual source of, of the, all the Bahamas, including the Nefesh Bahamas. All types of things that we see in this world, all the souls in this world, all the kaychas in this world, evolve. They evolve from higher spiritual worlds. In other words, the chiddush of this world is the physical matter. But the content of this world, the theme of this world, the spiritual energy of this world, already exists in higher parallel universes, and then it evolves and assumes physical incarnations. So when you speak about an animal, every animal has a soul. Every animal has a soul. Every animal has a personality. The study of animal personalities is quite a fascinating study. People who dedicate their entire life to figure out just a bee, to figure out ants, you know, they're, they're super organisms, they're unique. To figure out worms, to figure out insects, and then there's mammals, you know. They each have personalities, sensitivities, how they maneuver. This soul of each animal is rooted in the spiritual Merkava. In other words, the nefesh of each behema. The shayrish is the malachim who are called behemoths. We say every morning, v'hayfanim, v'chayos hakodesh. What's chayos hakodesh? Holy animals. Holy chayos. So just like a behemoth gravitates to different things, just like a behemoth is allergic to different things. I, I saw a documentary. It was fascinating. There was this Arab fellow who, uh, who contracted cancer in one of the yeshuvim in Israel. And, uh, and uh, he remembered that some time before his sheep was emaciated, was getting very, very weak. His sheep was getting very, he had a sheep that was getting very, very sick. And he noticed a little earlier that she would constantly gravitate to a particular bush and a particular plant and would always eat from it. And he saw that she was slowly gaining her strength. So he followed that, and he discovered that this was extremely beneficial for his health. And they described there what it is, the plants and so forth. Somebody sent me, I saw fast. But it was fascinating that those sheep had the wisdom 
to know what it needs in order to restore itself back to health. So they're now discussing if what particular form of cancer he has, if it's a cure, not a cure, whatever. It's a separate discussion. Where do animals get this from? Every animal has a tremendous, tremendous secret and a tremendous, tremendous chayas uh, and personality. So it all comes from a certain behemoth in spirituality that then evolves into the physical animal. And therefore, Merkava is the Sherish of the Nefesh of Bahamas. And to understand the food of the Nefesh of Bahamas, one has to understand the source of the Nefesh of Bahamas. Lifting up the Aymer, as we will see, is lifting up the Behemoth from its lower incarnation to its higher form. And there, there can begin the process of sublimation, as we will see in the Hemshech. Okay. Ritz Hashem continue tomorrow. No, Sa'ir, that's the Michael Bahim. He's going to explain. That is their Michael. Does that mean it's higher than the upper world? Oh, yeah. It's feeding, it's nourishing. Yeah, yeah, that's what you meant, yeah. So if we say that animals are. Even the Nachash, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin that before the Nachash's downfall, it was a Shamash Gadol, it was a great, uh, a great servant. Yeah. And Nachash is Begematria Choshen, Begematria Mashiach, three fifty-eight. So the Nachash itself is. Uh, every 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 has a spiritual source. So to speak. How come we count during the night if they counted apparently during the day after they brought the carbon? No, they didn't, because it says you start counting when you put the sickle to the grain, and they put the sickle to the grain at night. Ketzira Sa'imer was at night. Hakrava Sa'imer was by day. The harvesting of the was at night. Dafka at night. There's even a question if you're allowed to do it during the day. And it's Deich Shabbos. Even Friday night they did it. They harvested it even Friday night. Yeah. So, so you said, you know... Ketzir Shabbos. Yam hold it's It's not dependent on the carbon. It's two separate mitzvahs. It It's just a reference when you start counting. The day that you bring the carbon. It's just a reference to which day. But it doesn't depend on the carbon. Tazayin Nissen is the day you would bring the carbon. That's the day you start counting. The Torah is just giving a reference point. So you understand when you start counting. But it's not dependent on the carbon. The mitzvah of counting is not dependent on the carbon. That's his view. Right. And, and everybody else holds? It's that it's Midr today. Why? Because, because when there's no Beis Hamikdash, there's no mitzvah. No not everybody else, but many. Toysvahs, basically. Rabbi Yerucham held... You could start. The, the, the out weeks, that the weeks are the Rabbanon today, but the, the days are still Menat I, 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 how can you hide by experience by the days? You also have the problem. No, he says, because in the Torah you have two separate mitzvahs. They count the days and they count the weeks. By the weeks, the Torah associates it with the cutting of the grain. Oh. But by the days, it's, the Torah says it independently. That was my question. Did you explain? So that was the answer. So yeah. why the count? Okay. So every person operates on two levels of consciousness, the Nefesh Alakis, the Nefesh Bahamas. 
which means the divine consciousness and the animal consciousness, or sometimes it's called the nefesh is the biological consciousness. Simply the biological soul that gives us chiyus, just like every animal has a nefesh that gives it chiyus, and not only animals, all vegetation, all produce, the entire world, the world of botany, the world of tzimeach, the botanic kingdom as it's called, has its nefesh. And not only that, we know in Kabbalah this is a big yisoid, and today there's even uh, tremendous discoveries that even doimim, even lifeless, what would seem lifeless, which was always seen as dead, as lifeless, we know that it has really quite an active <laughs> life, quite an active life, and it's really astonishing to see that. Arizal already says that everything has a nefesh, even rocks, doimim, and offer. There's no such a thing, something without a soul. The question is the nature of the soul, what type of soul. In the case of, uh, in the, case of the human being, uh, who has also a tselem alakim, in the case of the Jew, has what's called a nefesh alakis, a nefesh abahamas, you operate on two levels of consciousness. And in life, part of our objective is to create shalom bayis, to create harmony between the two. Alatanya said that Sviris HaOimer is the process of working with the animal soul. Pesach is the experience of Bechipazan, the Ratzai, the yearning, that the godly soul, when it senses, when it senses the divine, it runs, it yearns, it aspires. But if you stay by that, you, un, you, you left your animal soul untouched. You affected your godly soul, but the animal soul you left untouched. So then starts the avoida of usvartem lachem Now you have to get to lachem. Lachem means it has to become integrated. Integrated means it permeates you as a human being. You as a human being is not just your godly soul, it's your animal soul, it's your human, your, your, your very human and physical consciousness. So that's the Nefesh Bahamas, which is very different. It has a different agenda, different paradigm. Its whole Metzias, its Mohus, is different than the Nefesh Alekis. So Sphiris Oimer begins with Oimer. It's called Oimer. As he said, Oimer, the Gemara, we know is from barley. From the few, few carbonists that were brought from grain that came from barley. Usually they all came from wheat. And he says, because Sa'irim is Michael Bahama, it's animal fodder, which spiritually represents the fodder the nurture for the animal consciousness, not just for the divine consciousness, which is called Michael Adam. It's interesting, we say in Krishna, Venasati Esav Besadcha Levem Techa Veyachalta Vesavada. So the Gemara says in Brachas, Asur La Adam, Sheyachal Kaidim Sheyitim Lebehemtai. If a person has an animal under their domain, they're not allowed to eat themselves before they give their animal to eat. Which is very interesting halacha. First, Venasati Esav, first you feed your behem and then you eat yourself. Because if you don't feed your behemoth, you don't have a justification to eat. It's quite an interesting halacha. So, uh, so the Balatanya says elsewhere in Parshas B'chukaisi in Lekut that in, in, in spirituality it's also that way. That very often if a person is not going to work through their nefesh abahamas, they're not going to feed their animal soul, they won't be able ultimately to feed their nefesh alikis because a major part of them will be, will be haunting them, will be, will be wanting will be starving. In other words, a person cannot ignore the other facets of their personality, the other dimensions of their personality. On the contrary, they have to be able to nurture that. So Svira Sa'imer is the time when we focus on the Avaidah with the Nefesh Bahamas. And he explained that 
The Pasuk tells us that in the Avoid, in the Karben Neimer, there were two stages. There was Hanafa Saimer and there was Svira Saimer. Hanafa Saimer meant lifting up the Eimer. Pashat physically, the Kayan would lift up the Karben Eimer and swing it and wave it. Moilech or Mevi, Milo or and had to be waved and swung both vertically and horizontally. Moilech or Mevi, like we do with the Dalad Minimum Sukkus. And then there was actually the concept of Sfirasa, which is a unique mitzvah. No carbon comes with a count. Here, we bring a carbon and suddenly we start counting. So this right away denotes the truth that this is a different type of a carbon. It's not just a regular carbon, which is all carbonas are with animals. Not all, but many. And here it's actually not with animal. It's with, it's with, with, with produce that is the father of an animal. We're not bringing an animal. We're bringing food for an animal. So, of which is Michael Bahama. So we wave it, and then we start the counting. So the Nakuda that we, we started to explain in Peri Gimel was he discussed Shleim HaMelech. Remember Shleim HaMelech's structure? Shleim HaMelech built a, a, a big reservoir of water, a yam shel Shleim pool. And the Pasuk says that it stood on 12 oxen. It stood on Shnei Asar Bakar. It had 12 pillars, which were sculptured as, uh, as bulls, as oxen. And on top of them was the Yam, and he says that the Yud Beis Baka represent the Malachim. By Shleim HaMelech's physical structure was a mirror of a spiritual structure, a spiritual hierarchy. So therefore, the Yam Shal Shleim stood on the twelve Baka, which are the Malachim in the Merkava. Yecheskel Anavi has a Merkava, and he has a vision of a chariot where he sees angels, which he calls spiritual animals, Chayis HaKadosh, and the Yam on top of them represents the source of the Malachim, which he called Yam HaElyon, which he called Behema Rabba, the great Behema, the holy animal, which he associates with the name of Hashem, known as Shem Ban, the name of 52, Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey spelled out fully. Yud, Vav, Dalet, Hey, Aleph. And then you have Vav, how did I spell it? Not Hey, Aleph, that's Mem, Hey. Yud, Vav, Dalet, Hey, Hey. Vav Vav and Hey Hey, which spells out 52, which is the Gematria of Behemoth, and it's also the Shoirish of the Merkava of Pnei Ari. That's what he explained. That was the Yam on top of the Shneim Esrei Bakar, which is Shem Ban, that is the source of the Maisa Merkava. And the Maisa Merkava is the source of all animals that we know, all Chayas and all animals, everything from the Min of Chai, of the animal kingdom including this person's nefesh of Bahamas, the person's animal inside, that's all rooted in the Merkava of Yecheskel. So the vision of Yecheskel, of the spiritual angels, which he calls animals, those are the energy, which are actually the spiritual source of all the animals down here below. So the behavior of an animal, that's why you can learn so much from animals, the behavior of an animal, although on one level is just very brute, and of course egocentric in the sense that it's just trying to uh, live and preserve itself. But every animal, essentially, it's a physical life force that evolved from a very sophisticated and a very profound spiritual life force. And every animal has its own personality, its own unique characteristics, its own unique dispositions. Every animal could teach you a world. Marabu Masecha Hashem is in every type of animal. 
every mammal and every fish and every bird and every insect, every insect has its own unique motus operando, its own MO, its own way how it operates, its own mashagasin. And it's really fascinating. I mean, there's people who spend, you know, lifetimes just studying one insect, one animal. It's very interesting. So, uh, what what is what's pshat? This is the cloud that's very important to understand in all Hasidus. Every every um, soul, every energy, every expression, every type of faculty we find in this world didn't originate in this world. It evolved into this world. The process of evolution, according to Kabbalah, is not similar to Darwin's process of evolution. But it's a, it's, it's, I use the same word because there is a similarity in the sense he spoke about evolution from one form to another form. Here we're talking about evolution from Ruchnias to Gashmias. It's called Seder Hishtalshalos. Seder Hishtalshalos means a process of evolution. Because when we look at this world, the Chiddush of this world is in the physical brute matter. But the personality of this world, the energy in this world, the spiritual makeup of our world, that doesn't begin here. That already originates in higher parallel universes that evolve. And the difference between one animal, another animal, one matter and another matter, one creature and another creature doesn't begin here. It begins because their spiritual sources are different. And because their spiritual energy are different, so the energy evolves until it assumes a physical incarnation. When we speak about different worlds, for example, we speak about the world of Atsilas, Breed, Sirasia. These are not Chinese terms. Each world is the same. It's just the same reality on a more subtle level. It's the same reality on a more subtle level, meaning the same energy that exists here exists in a higher world, but there it may not have all of the physical incarnations. So it's the same energy when you, you understand what I'm saying? When you trace it back to a higher space in a person. And this is true with every single energy that exists in this world. What do I mean every single energy? Any, every single trait, every characteristic, and so on and so forth. So the shayrish of all the behemoths, <coughs> and the shayrish of the nefesh of Bahamas, it's all from the malachim, in the maisim or kava, who are called behemoths. The face of the lion, the face of the eagle, the face of the ox, the face of the bull. And in many ways, the Tanya says that the malachim and the behemoths are very similar, because they're both programmed. The malachim are spiritually on fire to God, but they're programmed. They don't create their emotions. They don't create their likes. They don't create their dislikes. It's natural to them. It's naturally embedded in them. And therefore, essentially, they're instinctive, just like animals. Animals, they follow the code that is embedded in them, and they follow it brilliantly. And they follow it unwaveringly. I never heard a horse say, you know, I would love that ice cream, but next week I have a wedding. <laughs> I got to look good. Or I really love that potato chips. But the doctor told me they don't work that way. We got those issues. They follow their code. Their code of survival, of health, of, of reproduction. They want to live. 
they want to help the environment the way they're programmed to help their environment, and they want to recreate. Those are their three agendas, and they're beautiful agendas. Self-survival, reproduction, make sure that uh, the generations don't stop with you, and they'll have mysterious nefesh for it. You ever watch the Simons, how they, you know, salmon fish, how they go back to the place where they came from to create a new generation? It's an extraordinary mamash to the point of mysterious nefesh. And, uh, and, uh, and they, they contribute to their environment, each one in their own way. Every tree, every plant, every bush, they follow a code. In that way, they're very similar to the malachim. The malachim are spiritual beings, but they also, they're, they're encoded with a spiritual sensitivity. They're encoded with whatever sensitivities they're encoded. And they have tremendous sensitivities. There's a maisa about the Baal Shem Tev. It's a maisa, Peladika maisa. He was once at an inn with his Talmidim, and there was a lot of commotion going on. <coughs> and uh, he ignored the commotion. He was just in his room. What happened was there was a chasana there that night. Chasana Kala was a, it was a very nice tavern. They got married. Shayt. And there was two wealthy families. And in the morning, the Baal Shem Tev came out, he davened, and then they were ready to go off. So he came out and he saw the whole entourage of the chasen and the kala and the families. And there was a bird on top of a tree, and the bird was, was doing a lot of talking. So the Baal Shem Tev turned to one of the Talmidim, to his group, and he said, you know what the bird is saying? The bird is looking at the chasen and the kala and saying, La'ela te'chalek ha'aretz which is an expression in Chumash and Bamidbar, to these the land shall be divided, to the Jewish people, to the tribes who survived the, the 40 years of the desert, to these the Aretz should be divided, and he goes on to explain at the end of Bamidbar how, the, how you divide the lands, al all the Shvatim, l'arav, l'ma'at, etc. So everybody thought the Baal to probably meant, you know, that uh, they were both very wealthy families, so between the two, they're going to you know, split the land. Okay, years, years, years went by. It was a mishpacha in Poland. Mamish years went by, Lashem passed away already. And uh, they did very well. They had a huge family. He decided he was getting old. He wants to go to Eretz He wants to move to Eretz She said she doesn't want to move to Eretz She wants to be with the kids in the Eneklach. You know? So they got into major, major machlekas. It was a big dintayda. It was a dintayda that the old Poland heard about it. And he said, he's not budging, he's moving to Eretz She says, no. And the psak was, they both agree, so let them divorce each other, sadly. And uh, he wants to move to Eretz could move, but he has to give his wife half, uh, half of uh, the nechassim. Because this is his demand, he's creating it. It's not like she's mechuyev to move to Eretz Yisrael. And um, it wasn't a psak condition. And therefore, she has to give her half of the nechassim, half of his property, with money, and then he could get divorced. And that's what they did. That's what they did. And the whole, the whole everybody spoke about it. So there were Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tev alive, and they said, Baal Shem Tev said the day after the wedding that the bird was saying, La'ela techalik ha'aretz. They're going to be split up because of the land. La'ela techalik ha'aretz. They're going to be split up because of the land. So tell me, how does the bird know this? They have sensitivities. They see certain realities. They looked at the chasen and kala, and they saw a certain reality. Now most of us listen to birds all morning. You hear birds. So what is it? At best, it's, it's charming. At worst, it's a headache. I personally love it. But really, 
there's a Meisim cover going on. There's a very, very spiritual, the Gemara says in Masech the Sukkah, that Hillel had 80 Talmidim. The Gemara says in Sukkah, the Chavches, he had 80 Talmidim. The oldest was Yonis and Benazil, the youngest was Hillel. And the youngest, they said, that he knew Sichus Oifus, he understood the conversation of birds, the conversation of, of Tkolim, of palm trees, the conversation of animals, the conversation of beasts. What does this mean? This means that when a wind comes, right, or rain comes, and the, 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 the trees shake, they're communicating, they're worshipping, they're talking. It's just we don't have the senses to even be sensitive to it. But there's a whole spiritual life force over there. They communicate with themselves, with each other, with their God, with God, and so forth. We're talking about palm trees, not even talking about animals. Now, uh, today they're discovering the communication skills that even insects have with each other, and it's astounding. Yeah? I was telling my, I showed my kids the other day the bee dance. You know about the bee dance? When a bee discovers in your garden good nectar, good uh, flowers to feed off, suddenly, ten minutes later, there's a bunch of bees there. What happens? The bee goes back to the beehive, and it makes a dance. And the dance, first of all, tells its friends that it found a source of good nutrition, but now it has to tell them where. So the bee dances for a certain length of time, approximately a second per kilometer. How the bee knows? 10 seconds, 10 kilometers. 6 seconds, 6 kilometers. Amazing. So now they know how far they have to go, but where to go. So the bee dances in an angle. And the angle it dances is basically the angle from the sun where those plants are. So it tells you, you'll go out of the beehive, you have to look where the sun is, and you have to go this angle, let's say it's 90 degree angle, 45, whatever it is, from the sun, you go 3 kilometers and you'll find it. Can you imagine this? So on one level, it's brilliant, right? On a deeper level, there's a lot of... So this is what the Balkanya is saying here, that every nekud and every behemoth, every chay and every oif, there's a nefesh there, and the nefesh really comes from a very, very spiritual place. It comes from the Meisimer cover. The way it evolves into the animal down here is that the animal is, preser- is, is focused on self-preservation in terms of physicality. But the shayrish of it, what do we mean the shayrish of it? If you trace back its personality, you will find a malach elakim. You will find So that's the nekuda here that Shloyma HaMelech understood very well. He built the Beisamikdash, he built his, his Beisamikdash, the first Beisamikdash that way, that the Yamshel Shloyma was standing on Shneim Esrei Bakr. Now if this is true with all animals, it's also true with your own animal, with your own Nefesh Bahamas. So here we have the concept called halal. Davoide is not destruction, Davoide is sublimation. You have to not destroy your animal, you have to trace back your animal. Not obliterate your animal, but bring your animal back to its source. Show who it really is, and that's what Hanafas Ha'aymer is. Hanafas Ha'aymer means we take the carbon Ha'aymer and we lift it up. What, what's the idea of lifting it up? We say back in its source it's not evil. Back in its source, it's really very holy. It's really very good. So, so that's the concept of anofa sayma. Let's see inside. So he says, you see where we are. We're uh, 
Um, it's page 70, the second column, like it's, uh, 12 lines from the top, the line starts, Hanal. You see, Haniskelel, Hey Nun Lamed. He says, Amerkava Hanal, Ushayda Shemokel, Chola Behemis, Venefesh Abamis, the Lamata, Shenem Shachim Imena. Shenem Shachim Imena. Usaida, Saida, a barley, which is what the Aymer was, it says in Zayar, is sheer hay. Sheer from the word of sheer, like a measurement. The sheer of five. What's beside the sheer of five? V'hainum mi birurim shalamata shenevradim v'nechlolim b'pchinas b'hem rabba hana. The whole idea of sa'ira. Sheer hay is, it's the birurim. Birurim means you sift out, like boirir. You sift out down here the good from the bad, and you allow the birurim to be nivrer, to be sifted out, and to be nichlal, to be included in the behema rabba, hanal, in the source of all the behemas, in the source of the merkava. In everything you have a spark. You have a spark. And the spark comes from godliness. The spark comes from elokus. To bring back the sparks to behema rabba, this is Michael Bahama. When we say food of an animal, this food of an animal, I feed my dog, I feed my parrot, I feed my cat, fine. Michael Bahama on a deeper level means Michael Bahama feeding the ultimate Bahama, the source of all the Bahamas. Shame Ban. Bahama Rabba, Michael Bahama. In other words, in other words, why are we calling it food? There's a Maimah right after this. The Balatanya explains this. Here he speaks Bekitzah, but he explains it later. Barich, I'll just say the Nekudah he brings out. One of the greatest miracles of life, everything is a great miracle, but one of the extraordinary is di- the digestive system. Digestive system is unbelievable, and most of us take it for granted. What happens when I eat something? It's far, far from simple, you know? We put it into our mouth. A few seconds later, it's gone. And boom. But it's not gone and boom. Suddenly the body comes to life. There's a huge system that has a tchiyas amesim here. The stomach has been waiting for you all day. And suddenly it welcomes the food. And it's a whole process. It starts already on your tongue with your saliva. It already You start digesting. And then it goes down the food pipe to the esophagus. And it goes through a whole seder shtalshalus. The small intestines and the, the, the liver contributes and the pancreas contributes and then the big intestines and then the part that goes to the waist, the part that goes into to your bloodstream. Half liver fella. But what is, what's the chiddush of the body? The body does boirer. What's boirer? It right away dissects. We look at a cookie, it looks good. <laughs> but we know the body doesn't, the body doesn't, doesn't look at the chitzonius. <laughs> the body looks at the pnimius. It right away dissects. And it separates. It says, this is going to the garbage. This is going to the Beisakise. This we're not letting into the blood. And it, push, it separates it physically. This goes into one part of the body. Right? This goes to another part of the body. What's it called? The small intestine? The large intestine? It's a whole different pipe. It's a whole different channel. Although it came down the same source. And even in each one, in each one, there's the, what, the salt and there's the sugar and there's the fat. Every nekudah. 
what's going to be absorbed in the bloodstream, what's going to contribute to what aspect of the body, what's going to be dejected completely, what's not going to be dejected, is going to be dissected further and again analyzed. That's what's called Avoidus Habirurim. So when we eat, we're doing unconscious bayer. If you, he, The focus here is to be mindful, to understand what we're doing. But even if we're not, our body does it because God is doing it for us. The energy of the Shem is doing it for us. So now spiritually, that's why he says, this is Michael Bema. Spiritually, what is eating? The process of eating is really the process of um, uh, sifting out, process of breaking up, going to the core of things and saying this could work here, this can't work here. So that's why the whole process of dealing with a behema and being mevarerit and saying part of it goes back to the source, behema rabba. That's like the body taking the food and saying, this is going into the bloodstream. This is great for the bloodstream. This is amazing for the bloodstream. This is great energy. This is going to the waste. So Michael Behema is the process of the food of the Behema Rabbe is through the Avoida Sabarim. You see, these are the words. So that's what the Zoyar says. The concept of Michael Behema is Soira. Sheer hay. Why sheer hay? Sheer hay means a sheer, a size of five. Generally speaking, there's hay mitzayis hapeh. Right? Chazal tell us there's five sources of all of the letters that come from the mouth. Five groupings. If I just go, ah, uh, it's just the breath can produce a voice, but it's a kal pashat. The fact that there's division into the alphabetic letters, here there's a hey five sources to the articulation of the vocal powers of a person. So you have, for example, Aleph, Ches, Hey, Ayin, come from the throat. Bays, Vav, Mempei are called Tzvasayim because you need, you need the lips. Try saying a Bey. You must have the lips kissing each other in order to say a Bey, Vav, Mempei. And so... There is there are hey mitzayis hapet those that need the tongue and so forth. Hey mitzayis hapet represents taking the voice and directing it, harnessing it, and splitting it up into individualized letters. The source of this, again, like everything, is in God's speech. Hashem also has speech, but for the speech to create a saramamoris, it has to go through hey mitzayis hapet. His words, they could just be a kol pashat, a voice. If God would just say, ah, right, then what would be? The whole world would feel organically one. But because so his voice gets split up into different letters, and each letter contributes to a different word, and each word is made up of different combinations of letters. So now you have Evan. Now you have Behema, now you have Ur, now you have Chaya, now you have Dogim, now you have Adam. And that's just a few of the divisions of infinite divisions, the diversity that our creation is made up of. It's all based on the Hey Mitzoy Sapa. That's Sa'ir, Sheer Hey. It's the measurement of Hey which represents the entire umbrella, which is the source of division. The fact that we can utter not one sound, we don't just go, eh. Meh, eh, that the uniqueness of the human is that our koil could be manifested 
into 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet from Aleph through Tav, but it's not 22. Once it's 22, it's infinite. Because Aleph and Beis come together and they make up the word Av. And Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalet come together and they make up new words. And even the same letters could make up different words if you combine them in different ways. That's why the ten utterances with, which created the world are not just ten utterances. The ten utterances are the source of trillions of utterances. Of quintillion, of more of utterances that really create up every single nuance in all of the cosmos. In Gashmis and in Ruchnis. That's all called sheer hay. The shiurim, the measurements that come from the hay. This is all explained by Riches in the next Maimer. He explains this here, he's just saying it Bekitzer. Balatani would often say a Maimer and make his main points, and then he would reference and show his sources in the next one. It's this case also, there's the next one, the Heinefes Aimer, there he discusses things more by Riches. So that's the Shir Hey. So what's Sa'ira Shir Hey? It represents the source of diversity in our world. And because of the diversity in our world, that includes all the behemoths, all the chaz, all physical matter, diversity. When we take this sa'ira, which is shir hey, that's Michael behemoth, what do we mean it's Michael behemoth? When we trace it back to its source, hanafa sa'ira, we lift up the sa'ira, we lift up the barley flour, we trace back the animal to its source. How do we trace it back to its source? Like all food, it's a process of food. You have to dissect the good from the bad. You have to say this, this is, this is an attachment, you don't need this. This is not really who you are. This is an adhesion that got added during the, the downfall, the, the, the evolutionary process. Then you could bring the food back to its original source, to Michael Bahama. Let's just do one more line. I know it's like, This is what we say in every morning in Davening. So he says there's two types of malachim. There's Yoytzim Mesharsim and there's Asher Mesharsim. Yishtabach Shem Chalad Malkeinu Yoytzim Mesharsim. He creates his Mesharsim. He creates his servants. And then you continue. Vasher Mesharsim Kulam Oymdim Berumaylam and his Mesharsim stand, which according to the Balatanya is a meditation about the Malachim. We go through the Malachim. The Malachim, why do we talk about the Malachim by davening? Not just to give an encyclopedia of what the angels are doing today, because that's, we're talking to our own Nefesh Bahamas, which comes from the Malachim. So he says, this Yoytzim Mesharsim, Asher Mesharsim. Is that a redundancy? You should say, Yoytzim Mesharsim, Asher Kulam Oymdim He says, no, there's two types of Malachim. There's Malachim, that stand forever and praise God. Yoytzim Mesharsim is they're created every day. Yoytzim Mesharsim, Sheyesh Malachim, they're Malachim. Yoytzer, Loshen Hoive, he's constantly creating them. Shem Ptelem Bechal These are the Nitzutzes that we elevate through our Avodah every day. They become the angels. When I look at my animal and I dissect an emotion and I trace it back to its spiritual source, I just created a Malach. Because I brought my Behemoth back to the Malach. That's the spark that elevated it. So you have Yoytzim Mesharsim, that's the new Malachim we create every day. And then there's Asher Mesharsim, they're the ones from the actual Merkava, those are the original Malachim. Yoytzim Mesharsim is what you do, Vashem Mesharsim is what he does. Vashem Mesharsim is the original Maisa Merkava. And then there's Yoytzim Mesharsim, Sheyash Malachim, Sheyim Ptelem Bechol they experience their alignment with God every day. They become swallowed like food. 
submerged like food. That's what we do with food. We swallow food and we're, we submerge the food into our bloodstream, into our consciousness, through our bloodstream. So this is what happens. We become, we give food to God. What do we mean to God? To Shem Ban, to the Behemer Rabbah, to the Maisim Kava, to the Malachim of Hashem. Just like barley is food that the behemoth swallows up. So that's what Michael Behemoth means. This is the food that we give to the behemoth Rabbah through the beer of our Nefesh And they are absolutely renewed every single day. Every single day, Yoytzim Mesharsim. They are renewed every day because every day there's new animals and there's new sparks and there's new energies. So that's what we say in Davening. And then we say, It's not so easy to say, On the original Malachim, it's easy to say they're beloved. On your own animal instinct, it's hard to say because we want to reject. It's very easy to hate yourself, to just say you're evil, you're bad, you're unworthy. To be able to, that's the Chiddush of Kulam, what's the Chiddush Kulam Ahovim? Well, we think they're hated, why would God hate his Malach? Kulam Ahovim is a big Chiddush. Kulam Ahovim means to be able to look at yourself and understand that all of our animal passions are really beloved, as long as they're Kulam Brudim. Yutaifus? The Rebbe Rayatz, the, previ- the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the father-in-law of the Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, he lived in Poland, mm-hmm. in Warsaw, in Otwotsk, until he escaped from the Germans. He came to America in 1940, passed away in 1950, Tovshin in Brooklyn. So, uh, at the oil of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, they're together. His father-in-law and him, they're buried near each other. He passed away, Yutzva Tovshin Yud. So, um, he once, he had a big yeshiva in Atvotsk, in Polis. Atvotsk is a suburb of Warsaw. Beautiful, beautiful suburb. And that's where the yeshiva was till the Germans, uh, till the war in 19, September 1939. So once, he called in one of his secretaries, his name was Chacha Fagan, Rabbi Cheskel Fagan. He was burnt alive with his family in Riga by the Germans. He was a very big Jew, very big. They called him Chacha Fagan. His name was Yecheskel Fagan. So he was a secretary. He called him in and he said, call in, go into the yeshiva and call in the best boys to me. And I'm going to say for them, especially Amayim Echsidus, I'm going to say especially for them, but it should be the best boys, the Mitzuyanim there. So Reb Chachafegin goes in, so who's he going to call in? So he called in the best boys, but he made sure that one of the Yentes, you know, everybody smedrish before Google had its own Google. Still has it. You know, you tell the certain Bachim, you tell them and everybody knows within seconds. He made sure that one of these boys overheard, so everybody knew, basically, that the Rebbe's doors are open. So the whole base medrash, you had a few hundred boys, the whole base medrash packed out, and they all went into the, to the Lubavitcher Rebbe's room, or house, wherever he was, the, the Rayats. Takes a look, and he sees everybody is there, he doesn't say anything, he says his Maimer, and the Bachram leave. After everyone is gone, he calls in his secretary, Abchach, and he said... I told you, get the best bachrim. You should get the best bachrim. So Abchacha says, Rebbe, Kula Mahuvim. They're all beloved. 
So the Rebbe says, Emes, Aberkulam Berurim? Aberkulam Berurim? Which means, are they all refined? He says, Rebbe, I don't know. Aberkulam Geboidim. They're all fighting. The Rebbe says, Emes, Aberkulam Gdoshim? Are they all holy? He says, Rebbe, Ich weiß nicht. Aberkulam Eisen Beemobir they're all trying in one way or another to do God's will. So he smiled and he thanked them. That's the vart. That's an educator. Kulam ahuvim? Yeah. Kulam brudim? I don't know. <laughs> but kulam gibayrim. Kulam gdayshim? I don't know. But kulam aysim beymobiritzankayna. That you have to be able to say for every student. You also have to be able to say it for your own sparks. The own sparks, which are not angels, they're beasts. <laughs> But they come from angels. That's Hanafa Sa'imer, lifting up the Aymer. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.